Have you ever gotten to the end of the roll of saran wrap and you're trying to cover a piece of Tupperware, a piece of food, and you, you just don't have enough of that saran wrap and you, and you, and you stretch and you, and you pull and you try to make it fit and, and then it rips? You know, words are a lot like saran wrap. Sometimes the words can contain the meaning. Sometimes words do not have the ability to contain all that we try to pack within it. There is a section of words that the Apostle Paul uses in his letter to the church in Ephesus where he tries to use words stretching over the power and the love of God. And he uses three Greek words, hyper, mega, dunamis. And those words we get hyper and mega and dynamite from in the English language. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to stretch the Greek language to contain somehow the infinite power and love of God. And the words can't contain it. And like saran wrap, trying to wrap around a herd of elephants, eventually it rips. What the world needs right now, in the midst of all the debate, in the midst of all the talk, in the midst of all the wonder, in the midst of me asking the question, what does the world need now? What do I need right now? What do my relationships need right now? What does my church need right now? What does this city need right now? What does the nation need right now? It is the hyper, mega, dunamis, powerful love of God that breaks through the mountains of granite, of hate, of injustice, of indifference, the broken relationships and the broken systems that go all the way back to the beginning of humanity. And what's remarkable is that the Apostle Paul says that that power, that love that cannot be contained in words actually flow through your life in such a powerful way that it actually breaks apart the sin and the brokenness and the shame and all the things that, that hold you back, that hold you in, that chain you down, preventing you from living the life that God longs for you to live. And so the same Apostle Paul who wrote about that hyper-mega, dunamis, powerful love of God also writes to the church in Rome. In Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, and he begins to unpack in a very practical way what your life could look like if that powerful love of God coursed through your life. And in those 13 verses, he chooses to use 38 verbs to describe love. You know, love is one of the most misunderstood, misdefined, uh, diminished things out there. And the Apostle Paul in this section, again, stretches the Greek language in such a way that it can't contain the powerful love that could course through you and me. And what the world needs right now is you and me to allow, to be open to, to hunger for that powerful love of God to flow through our life, breaking that which needs to be broken in our lives, in our relationships, out into our city, to the ends of the earth. 
And so this summer, we're going to get to work. This is not going to be a summer of vacation as we go through God's word. This is going to be a summer perhaps unlike you are ever used to. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to get to work being the hands and feet of Jesus because that's what we need. That's what our relationships need. That's what our communities need. That's what our globe needs. So verse by verse, we're going to go through Romans 12, 9 through 21 this summer. One verse, one week at a time. These 38 verbs that will unpack for us that which we need and the world needs right now. Let's begin in verse 9. The apostle writes to the church in Rome in the midst of all the persecution, in the midst of the the oppression by uh, the Roman imperial powerful government. He writes this in Romans 12 verse 9. Love without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we say every week, thanks be to God. So the Apostle Paul, he begins this section of scripture. Again, 13 verses, 38 verbs to unpack what love is. And of all the things that he could have said, of all the things he could have done to start this massive chain reaction of dynamite that has the potential to break apart all that is evil, all that is broken in the world, he chooses to start with This, love without hypocrisy. Hypocrite is the Greek word that we translate into the English. That Greek word is the word that was used in the first century to describe actors in a Greek theater. As was the custom in the day, whenever a person would get up on stage whenever they would play a part. They would communicate the part that they were playing through a mask that they would wear. You've seen perhaps those masks, you know, the big smile, the the scowl. An actor, a hypocrite, was one that was able to disconnect their heart from the part that they were playing. And the best actors, the best hypocrites back in the day were those who had the ability to to disconnect that which was on the inside to that which they projected on the outside. Now, for all of human history, our world has been filled with hypocrites who, for whatever reason, a myriad of reasons, have the ability to play a part that perhaps is disconnected from their heart. In fact, in many ways, you might know people in your life, maybe personally, maybe people you have seen publicly that are a hypocrite. People who have the ability to have what is on the outside different than that which is on the inside. Uh, A hypocrite who has the ability to disconnect the part that they play from their heart. You see, the Apostle Paul begins this whole section, 38 verbs, this chain reaction of dynamite. And he says that if you have a type of love that is a hypocritical love, It is like a dud, piece of dynamite that will prevent the chain reaction of God's powerful love to course through your life, to break the granite of hate all around you. Of all the things he could have said, he starts with this. It is that important. It is that significant. It is the biggest counterfeit, perhaps, of all, of the kind of powerful love that can actually transform that which needs to be transformed. 
In fact, hypocritical love is all part and no heart. And if you look out upon the world, there's actually a tremendous temptation and actually a tremendous amount of pressure to be a hypocrite. Because to be transformed from the inside out, which we will talk about today, is a long, slow, difficult work. It is a work that requires patience. It is a work that requires humility. To be transformed from the inside out actually requires you being all into that transformation. But the cheap thing, the easy thing, the convenient thing is to simply play a part, is to love hypocritically, to say what you need to say in the right situation, perhaps to go into a different situation to say that which you should say in that situation, to trade out the different masks that you wear with your parents, with your friends, with your family, the people in your life who you know see things differently than you. There is such tremendous pressure to have a hypocritical love, but the world would never call it that. And yet the truth of God's word says that when we love with hypocrisy, there is a counterfeit chain reaction that causes God's powerful love to not flow through us. In fact, Jesus talked about hypocrisy so frequently, perhaps most famously in the the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, he shares this teaching. Maybe some of you are familiar with. In Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, he uses very strong imagery, strong words here. And he says this. Why do you see this speck in your neighbor's eye? But do not notice the log in your own eye. Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is still in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Now let's go slowly through this amazingly profound teaching. You know, there's treasure here. I often think that the most valuable real estate on the planet is found in the pages of Scripture. There's so much treasure here, and there's so much that we need to find. And kind of like if you lose something in your home or if you're uh, looking for something valuable, you slow down, you, you stoop down, you get on your knees, you, you uncover things, you, you take the time to discover there's so much here in this section. And Romans 12, 9 says that we should love without hypocrisy. Let's go right to the source, Jesus Christ, how he defines that hypocritical love. But first, before we do that, let's take a look at what Jesus doesn't say. Because this is so relevant for us right now in the summer of 2020. After asking the question in verse three, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye? He doesn't say, because there's no speck in your neighbor's eye at all. He doesn't say that. That is one of the most popular perspectives out in the world right now that says, there's no brokenness in you, it's just you. There's this very popular, uh, momentous 
movement that's been happening, and it's more than just now, it spans all the way back. It is this lie that says that there's no brokenness in you at all, that there is no sin. It's just your truth. And this phrase, you do you and I'll do me, is actually a hollow love for a parent to not speak truth in love to their child who is destroying their life through their choices out of fear that they won't come across as loving because they don't approve of everything that they're choosing. They're getting wrapped up in the addictions that they might have in their life is actually a hollow form of love. And we've got to be very careful. And as you hear this, as you reflect on your own life and you reflect upon uh, what you say and what people have said to you, if there's this trap that you've fallen into that says that there's no brokenness in anybody else, that that's just judgmental, that's not loving. It's actually a hollow form of love. It's a love without substance. Jesus doesn't say that. He ends this teaching acknowledging not only that there is a speck in the neighbor's eye, but it ends the teaching with the person, the hearer, removing the speck. One of the most loving things we can do is to speak the truth in love, in the context of relationship, defined by what God says is good and evil to speak truth in love, but to not do that is actually not loving at all. So there's a hollow form of love that the world has fallen into that distorts love that is wrapped up into, but there's also a hypocritical form of love and Jesus describes it this way. It's when you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you don't acknowledge the log in your own eye. A hypocritical form of love is to only notice the brokenness in others and never notice the brokenness in yourself. It is to point the finger outside of yourself and say the real problem is them or that person or that thing. It's always to be pointing away and never doing the hard work, never doing the humble work to see how there's four more fingers pointed back at you when you point out to somebody else. So a hollow form of love doesn't acknowledge the brokenness in others. A hypocritical form of love doesn't acknowledge the brokenness in yourself. And both of those things don't have the power to transform the world. Remember the hyper mega dynamite power of God's love is the opposite of hollow, is the opposite of hypocritical. And Jesus uses this rich imagery and I love how when he says, you hypocrite, you can't even see what's in your neighbor's eye because you have a law coming out of your own eye. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, when the first humans ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they ate from that tree, all of a sudden their definitions for good and evil began to be distorted. And ever since then, every single human being that has been born into this world, you and me included, apart from that which God can do in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a relationship with Jesus, we have a distorted view of what good and evil is because we have a law coming out of our own eye because we've eaten from the tree. 
of the knowledge of good and evil. And when we eat from that tree, when we put ourselves on the throne of our life, when we take God off the throne that God should be on, when we eat from that tree, when we think that we can define what is right and what is wrong, when we can define what is evil and what is good, we find ourselves clashing with so many people around us. Because we're all people, apart from God's grace through us, unable to see the world through God's eyes, unable to see the world rightly. And I see it played out all around. There is this clash of definitions over what is good, what is evil, what is just, what is love. And the root of it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it goes all the way back to when the first humans abandoned a relationship with God and instead pursued religion. You see, Religion is the impulse of the human heart, aside from a relationship with God. Religion that is all about, here are the clear, specific boundaries of how you should live and how you should not live. Here's the list of do's and don'ts. Here's what is good and here's what is evil. You see, you don't have to be a person that believes in a God to be a religious person. Every single human being on the planet is religious. And religion, human-made religion, which is the complete opposite of God's heart, is one that demands answers in a yes or no format. Human-made religion is one in which we have very specific definitions. And if somebody doesn't fit that definition, we actually treat them the way that we, that we hate. We begin to judge judgmental people. We begin to hate hate-filled people. We actually perpetuate the cycles of brokenness and evil and violence in this world, not only in our actions, but in our hearts and our mind, when we fall into the trap of defining what is good and what is evil. And to go back to Romans 12, verse 9, that when you love with a hypocritical love, you can't hate that which is evil and you can't cling to that which is good because your definitions of evil and good are fundamentally flawed. That's why Paul starts with love without hypocrisy. If you have a hypocritical view of the world, if you have a part that you play that is disconnected from your heart, you actually can't see the world clearly in any way. In every single verb that follows, in this beautiful section of Scripture, will be a dud, will be a counterfeit be a cheap imitation of that which could flow through your life. In fact, in Isaiah, I love this, 520, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Jesus is saying that if you want to have a transforming love, that changes your life, your relationships, and the world around you, you have to start by acknowledging that you have a log 
coming out of your life. And that is preventing you from seeing the world clearly, seeing the other clearly, whether it's your spouse, a family member, a neighbor, somebody in your life, somebody that you see from afar, that you have to start by acknowledging in humility that you've got a log coming out of your own life and then you have to remove that log to now see clearly to then remove the speck in your neighbor's eye. Now, you know, I've had a number of times, I, I've had dust, I've had uh, a splinter. I mean, I, I've, had, I've had things in my, you, you've had it too. Isn't it one of the most uncomfortable feelings on the planet to get, to get something in your eye in a windstorm, whatever it is, it, it is just, it's, you, you can't do anything else when you have something you can't drive, you can't eat. You can't, you can't have a conversation. You can't even see when you have something, no matter how small it is, when it gets in your eye and you need to get it out. And there's certain times where you, you go up to the, and I'm probably making you uncomfortable even thinking about this because it is uncomfortable. You go up to a mirror, you're looking for it, you can't find it. And sometimes you need help. You need somebody to come close. Somebody whom you trust to get near, to, out of love, gently, please gently, remove the, the irritant that caused so much pain, so much paralysis in the moment. Contrary to what the world says, to remove a speck in somebody else's eye with the right motive is one of the most loving things that you can do. But it requires relationship. And Jesus says, before you can in love, in relationship, with gentleness, with tenderness, with precision, remove, without causing other damage, the little speck, the little thing that is irritating, that is getting in the way of somebody else's life, you first have to remove the log in your own life. How do we do that? The problem is we can't. If you thought it was hard to remove a speck in your own eye. Imagine how hard it is to remove a log when you don't even know it's there. In the same way, I told you that it takes a relationship sometimes to remove the speck. It also takes a relationship to remove the log. The complete opposite of religion. It is a relationship with God, your creator through Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus alone has the ability to remove the log in your own eye. How does he do it? I'll say it succinctly. The log that comes out of your eye which is the Greek word for the biggest possible thing that you could take from a tree. Jesus uses that word in Greek. 
to describe the thing that is coming out of your eye. That same Jesus uses that big word to describe that which is in your life that makes it impossible for you to see clearly so that you can in love remove the speck, which happens to be the littlest word in the Greek language for the tiniest thing that can come from a tree. Jesus, that same Jesus was hung on a tree, on a cross. The very instrument on which Jesus was crucified on which the writer Isaiah says that in that moment he takes upon himself the fullness of all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your sin, all of the log that comes out of your eye, that comes out of all of humanity. Jesus took it upon himself by being crucified on the very thing that comes out of your own eye. Jesus was crucified on a log so that he alone, with that mega dynamite power of love, could absolutely shatter not only death, could shatter not only sin, but could shatter the very thing that is coming out of your life, which is the brokenness that you've been born into. The book of Romans says that all of humanity Sins. All of us are born of this world broken. That in our own strength, in our own power, we invariably don't live up to that which we hold other people to. We never live up to that which God longs for us to experience in our life. You see, Human-made religion says that, okay, if there is a log in your eye, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to pray the right way, and you've got to give this a much amount, and you've got to avoid this. And then uh, over time, over the course of your life, you can whittle away with a little tiny butter knife of, a, uh, of an instrument, finally whittle away that which is in your life so that hopefully at the end of your life, you'll have nothing left. You'll be able to go to wherever it is, the pearly gates, nirvana, whatever it might be, and somehow you have earned your way because you removed the brokenness in your life. And that is a complete distortion of God's heart for you and for me who longs to have a relationship with you because of the fullness of which Christ has already accomplished on the cross. And when you can turn back to God in faith right now, maybe some of you for the first time and you receive in faith, you say, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. I want to believe in you as Lord and Savior. I want to take your perfect record. And I want to give you my brokenness. I want to give you the log in my eye that I don't even see, but somehow Scripture says is there. I want to give it over to you and receive your perfect record in that moment. You are allowing the King of the cosmos, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who... Paul says to the church in Colossians 1 is the fullness, the immensity of God's glory who holds all things together as the writer of Hebrews says by the power of his word. You are allowing him in that moment to come near out of love 
to remove through his sacrificial death the thing that has enabled you to not be able to see clearly in this world. And as he removes that, he gives you his perfect record. He gives you his Holy Spirit and he begins to allow you, to enable you to begin to understand Scripture. You know, even God's word says that apart from a relationship with God, apart from the Holy Spirit, this seems foolish. But when we allow God near and God can remove that log from our eye, we can actually have the humility to realize that it wasn't our good deeds, it wasn't our good works, it wasn't our perfect record that enables us to be judge and jury, but actually now, out of love, we can, in a gentle way, in a loving way, in a Christ-filled way, in a, in a spirit-filled way, in a way that doesn't cause more damage, in a way that it doesn't come from a motivation of judgment or bitterness or disdain, but actually out of love, out of service. We can enter into a relationship with people in our lives and using God's word, we can in the gentlest ways help them to see that which is in their life that is getting in the way. For so many years, I thought that this passage about the speck and the log was all about how not to be judgmental. It's partly that, but in a bigger picture, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to have a hypocritical love or even a hollow love. That love will not change anything. It doesn't change you. It doesn't change the world around you. And when you can have that log removed from your life, you can actually begin to see clearly, not from your own motives, but from God's perspective, that which is evil and that which is good. And as it says in Romans 12, 9, that we should hate, we should spit out, we should push away all that is evil and cling to that which is good. And this could very easily be misunderstood as just a religious list of do's and don'ts, but in actual fact, Jesus answers a question when asked, what is good? Jesus responds and says, there is only one who is good, and that is God the Father. So to cling to that which is good is to cling with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your very being to the one who sets you free. To cling to the one that has a hyper, mega, dynamite power that has the ability to transform everything that which is broken in this world. To cling tightly in a relationship through prayer, through the study of God's word. To continue to come back in humility and to say, Lord, search me. What are the ways in my life that I'm contributing to the evil that I see around me? Where are the specks that are left in my own life? Even after you've removed that log, where have I fallen short? What the world needs now is a powerful love that begins in humility that we would receive first from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit flowing through our life. So before we move forward into the summer, before we roll up our sleeves and get to work at the task that we are called to in this moment, would you simply just stop and pray? Would you allow the one who can alone see clearly into your life 
to speak the truth in your life, not only that you were loved, even when you were in your sin, but you were so loved that you have a God that says, I want to show you the things in your life that are holding you back. I want to show you the things in your life that are actually chaining you down to your past. I want to show you the things in your life that are actually preventing you from being a human and loving and the type of person that you actually, you long to be. Paul says, love without hypocrisy. Let's let that be our starting point today. Into this summer, for the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you loved us so much. That you saw so clearly because you are without sin, you are without brokenness. That you saw so clearly that we needed things removed from our life. Things that come from the sin that we've been born into. And Jesus, I thank you that you have come with such power and with such humility that you even went to death on a cross to shatter all the brokenness, all the sin, to remove that from our life. So Jesus, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, we invite you to come near, to do the work that only you can do, to remove the brokenness in our lives, to fill us with your love, to fill us with your power, to fill us with your justice, to fill us with your mercy, so that we can move out into our relationships, not out of judgment, but out of love. To be instruments of peace for you, Jesus. To be ambassadors for you, Jesus to be part of your reconciliation that you long to do. It's in your mighty matchless name we pray, Jesus. 